there. Welcome to Inside MERS Investments. I'm Kristen Ballar, MERS General Counsel. I manage all of MERS legal and compliance matters. I'm here today with Jeb Burns, the Chief Investment Officer, who leads MERS investment team in managing over $15 billion of assets for pension and other financial accounts. Hi, Jeb, and welcome to our listeners. It's great to be back for our second podcast. Good to be with you, Kristen. Since our last episode, we've received questions from the field on some investment hot topics. So before we get into performance and projections, let's take a few minutes to address those. First, there's been a lot of discussion on the ongoing Russian invasion of Ukraine. How will the sanctions being placed on Russia impact the stock market overall, the U.S. economy, and MERS's investment strategies? I think that really is the question of the day. I think what we the reaction to the, uh, the war in Ukraine has been historic. That's often an overused term, but I think it actually it is. I mean, the coordination in sanctions from the West, which happened so fast, and and there really was very little debate about it. There was general consensus have been massive. And what you saw was you saw the public sector, you saw the governmental sector, you saw the private sector uh, making a decision really to divest from. Russian public and private markets, and and that itself was historic. I mean, you you've had sovereign um, bank reserves frozen, so Russia was cut off from uh, from the reserves that they had. Really, you've seen kind of economic warfare really take place very very quickly, um, and that's going to have long term policy consequences. And then you're shutting markets off. So, I mean, if we want to, we can get into it. But it, yeah, just a couple things that I think are worth just to start the conversation. You know, Russia is the number three energy exporter in the world, behind the U.S. number two, Saudi Arabia is number one. Um, Ukraine, 10% of the wheat exported globally comes from Ukraine. The other 20% comes from Russia. Just the follow-on effects of this are going to be dramatic and destabilizing. And I was looking, you know, as we were think, getting ready to do this, this podcast, you had a food, food shortages, or it was really more food inflation, uh, back in 2011, led to the Arab Spring. These things can be destabilizing. When inflation starts to get out of control, populations um, put a lot of pressure on their governments. So I know we'll talk more about this, but those are just a couple data points that um, make me really pause and, and think pretty deeply about the implications going forward. You mentioned divestment. Uh, many national and state leaders have called on or have required pension funds to divest from Russian investments. Can you give some insight there and whether MERS is considering any steps along those lines? Yeah, I, I think you need to look a situation like this. Divestment's a process. So the indexes it, it simply just took them out. So they wrote them down to zero. So, you're, so the equities are, there's really no counterparty to sell them to. Some of the other uh, investments are they're no longer trading. So it's really an accounting divestment. Your fixed income, you wait. You know, there may be seven, ten years from now, some kind of recovery. But the assets have essentially stopped trading anymore. So uh, everyone in the West is, for the most part, there's been de facto um, divestment already. You know, sometimes you're just things will be sitting on your book for a while, but you know there really is no market for Russian, you know, public or private investments at this point in time. Yeah, I was curious about some of the orders for divestment, because I know um, in some cases the investments become worthless, so it's the de facto divestment that you mentioned. Um, but just generally with divestment, um, if if there is a, a social or po- so political reason to do divestment, is that something that you can just do at the drop of a hat? No. It, it also really depends on the type of organization you are. If you're an organization maybe that has a endowments or foundations, they have more latitude because they, there's a they, some of them have economic development 
um, guidelines. They have social guidelines that, you know, you know, actions that they're supposed to have with the money they invest. Pension funds, we have a fiduciary duty. So we simply, we can't make an investment unless uh, the risk return is equal to any other investment. So for instance, I can't invest in an area that when I, a reasonable person can get, expect 7% and this other investment is six, I just can't do that just because, you know, it, it makes somebody feel good. I, I, it's a breach of my fiduciary duty, and frankly, it's, it's, it's a regulatory breach. I can't do it. Um, and I, divestment, I think, is really the same thing. So that's why, with fixed income in particular, these things will probably be held on our books for a long time because there's a chance that you get recovery three, five, and seven years down the road. And that, practically speaking, there is really no one to buy it from you. So. Right, but you, you can't just you just can't sell at a loss because of ideological reasons. That's, no, that would be no. got it. Yeah. So um, probably the biggest economic issue I'm reading about in the news involves the rapid increase in inflation. Uh, what is causing it, and how does it impact the MERS portfolio? Yeah, it's it's going to get. It, this is going to be Russia, Russia, and more Russia. Um, but we've seen inflationary forces building. And you know, you know, you work with us, and you know, you know that you know our projections within our uh, asset allocation, we forecasted inflation increasing. Um, really, you know, we looked out over the next ten years, so we saw that it was going to happen. Now, we didn't think it would unleash like this, but a lot of what happens, COVID was a catalyst for change. If you think about that, COVID was a catalyst for remote work. Those trends were already happening. The need for us to be in the office. You know, every single day, practically speaking, you know, they weren't necessary. But as a society, we had not caught up. COVID accelerated that. Um, it also it broke down supply chains. You know, when you've got a you know globalized economy, just in time delivery makes sense. You know, when there's no disruption in you know merchandise moving from the factory uh, from a a truck to a train to a boat, and then it gets there in two days. People found out that when supply chains get disrupted, you now have to look at different places to have things produced. You need to onshore. All those things cost money. So that in itself is inflationary. Um, with the Russia situation, I talked about the 30% just in wheat. Um, there's a lot of commodities. There are, you know, um, you've got potash. Um, natural gas, which is used for, you know, fertilizer. There's um, nickel, uh, iron ore. Uh, all those things are disrupted now. That's going to push up uh, inflation. You look at China. China, you know, their COVID policy is very blunt. They simply shut down the cities. So now they're not, you know, using as many commodities. Um, and that's going to, and it's also going to delay their manufacturing going out. So somebody that's, you know, in another country that's manufacturing goods, the prices that they're going to demand is going to go up. So, um, and then you add demographics to it. You know, the boomers are retiring. So right now we find ourselves really globally, there's a tight labor market. There's just not enough people to fill the jobs. And we see that everywhere. It's like, you know, vacancies are harder to fill. People are getting raises. People are demanding raises. That's inflationary. So... As I look out 12, 18 months, I see inflation is going to pretty much stay, remain high. The U.S. has some additional levers. We're a little more self-sufficient. We don't trade as much with the world. Uh, we're, like I said, we're the number two energy producer, so we, can, so we can keep our energy needs in check. 
or at least the costs in check. Um, but inflation is going to be higher for a while, and then I think you should see some slow in the growth and some moderation. But it's you know I'm looking out maybe 36 months before I really see see that happening. And what are your thoughts on the impact of raising interest rates to try to combat inflation? Frankly, it's the main mandate of one of the main mandates of the Federal Reserve, you know, and that is to keep a lid on inflation. Uh, we've had zero interest rates for a long, long time, right? So some of this is, is, is natural. Some of this is, frankly, long, overdu long overdue. Um, and when I talked about, you know, the instability caused by inflation, that's something that any civilized country needs to pay attention to. So they're going to raise rates, but they but they have to. They also have to look at the impacts. If you're going into a recession, you want to stimulate, so you, you you're still in a raising regime, so you're going to have to maybe raise them more slowly. And I, I was thinking on that, you know, Q1, you know, we had minus four, one point four percent growth. So, you know, a couple quarters of that, it's technically a recession. So we're definitely seeing the economy slowing, and it's I think a lot of it is a result of supply chain issues. Um, and inflationary pressures. Thanks. That's really interesting. Um, if our listeners have topics that they'd like to hear discussed, they can be sent to inside MERS Investments at MERSOfMish.com, and we'll try to drop a, a link to that email address in the that podcast be, notes. You know, and really, they should because we've got access to a lot of research. You know, we've got a good team here, so we can dig into some subjects and bring some relevant information to the table. So now I'd like to talk about um, what 2022 looks like year to date. Um, from the perspective of the MERS Defined Benefit Portfolio. Uh, walk us through where we started this year and what the last uh, few months have brought us. 2021, uh, we found ourselves in a situation where the portfolio returned over 14%. Uh, more importantly, I think, to you and to our listeners, we found ourselves in a situation where we were outperforming the actuarial rate at every single time period. So we were meeting our long-term objectives. Um, you know, we knew there were some storm clouds on the horizon, particularly on the inflationary side. But we also did see, we saw, you know, the U.S. was definitely overvalued. You know, it had been the U.S. for the last, you know, three or four years had been, been the place to be and pretty much the only place to be. So we are expecting some kind of rotation to happen. Well, um, you know, this year, it's frankly, it's been negative. And I, I can, you know, and a lot of it came out of, you know, the war. It just was a catalyst. You know, inflation was already, people are talking transitories, inflation transitory. We weren't quite buying that, and now that, that, that genie's out of the bottle on that. It's, it's, it's going to be here for a while. But what we find ourselves, uh, this is as of um, April 27th, so the portfolio was actually down 7.8%, uh, while the benchmark was down 11.7%. So on a relative basis, we're doing much better than you know a passive index. And um, I think the reason for that is... We have private markets, so that's helped out. We had seen inflation coming, so we'd added you know, a lot of real assets. You know, this is farmland, energy, commodities, uh, in the liquid and the private space. So that's been very helpful. Those have been positive. Um, we made some shifts in the asset allocation. Um, we've got some small cap exposure and international and some other diversification, which has helped. We lowered our fixed income exposure because the, the thing that – that happens is when inflation goes up, so when interest rates go up, your bonds, which are very safe and you have to have them in the portfolio, they go down. So it's a spot where you normally don't expect to see negative numbers. Well, it's going to happen. 
So we knew that. So we knew that it, rates were so low that it's certain that they're going to have to go up. So we kept as little fixed income with as short duration as possible. And short duration, what we mean is the maturity was uh, shorter, so it's similar to cash. So um, if you've got a bond that matures in 10 years, it has much more sensitivity to interest rates and will and we'll get, I think, the technical term crushed when rates go up. So, so that was something, you know, the very structure of the portfolio helped us do much better than the market. I think one interesting thing we were talking about today, um, to put really, you know, year to date through April, this the S and P, which I think uh, as of as of yesterday was down um, 11.83 percent. It was the worst through April performance in living memory of the S and P 500. I mean, you got to go back to like the depression. Wow. You know, that's I mean, COVID, uh, the Great Recession, dot com. 87 crash. I mean, just go back, back, which, you know, hiring is still good. So there's, there's a lot of good things still happening. There's still, there still is some pent up demand, but uh, I think that it's a signal that something is different than time. The world, there's been a shift in the economic system. And that's, I think, what we're living through right now. So you, you mentioned some of the strategies you use to, to in the near term to combat inflation. Um, from an institutional investor perspective, what how do you, what is your long-term investment strategy in times of market uncertainty or volatility? I know you've heard me say this a lot, and it's it, it, it's the same for an institution as it is for an individual. Diversification is what's helpful. It's 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 you know I was looking at the portfolio today, um, not having just the S and P five hundred and the Lehman Ag, which is your your bond index, we're better off because we've got diversification. That bond index is going to just by its nature, it's going to have more sensitivity. To interest rates, so we made some active decisions, but uh, by having you know real estate in your portfolio, by having commodities in the portfolio, uh, by having larger cap stocks and small cap stocks, that diversification helps because you're not subject to just one part um, of the market, and uh, that's that's one of the best things you can do. The other thing is to have a little bit of history close at hand, and what what, what I mean by that is it's a guarantee that you're going to have a recession. It is a guarantee that you're going to have some kind of geopolitical shock. You know, war in Europe, you look back over a thousand years, this isn't new. This, these things do happen. But in modern times, modern going back the last couple hundred years, markets generally go up. Not generally, markets do go up. You have, you know, you have spikes down, you have spikes up, but the trend line is positive. So staying invested, continuing to invest, and not um, letting emotions get the best of you and trying to make unemotional decisions about your portfolio. That's really one of the, you know, aside from diversification, being unemotional and really staying the course is what you need to do. Yeah, and as an institutional investor, I think, you know, you have the ability to, to really think long-term um, like, like that. You know, quick follow-up on that. These concepts and strategies, they, they apply to our pension fund a little differently than they might apply for an individual investor, right? I mean, diversification means one thing for an individual investor and a different thing for a pension fund. That's true, but we have, we have more asset classes that we can we have access to. Um, for both, though, the, the story is the same. Having the having the you know the diversification that you have available to you, and then and then actually you know it's policy. You know, we have an investment policy which dictates what we can and cannot do, and more importantly, what we should do. So markets are down, it's time to rebalance. That's just what you do. And for individuals, I think it's the same thing. To be clear, I'm not giving any investment advice here. Our listeners should consult their investment professional. 
Concepts such as diversification and liquidity are factors in every portfolio and financial plan. But merged defined benefit portfolio is very different from my own personal portfolio. That's helpful. Uh, so the last thing I want to hear from you today are any predictions for the next few months? Sounds like you do expect negative performance um, going forward. Well, you know, I think the one thing I can definitely expect is volatility. I mean, two days the markets were down significantly, then they're up. So that's, that's going to continue. So the markets are trading on emotion right now. And um, that's actually, frankly, that's a good, you know, that provides opportunities, uh, entry points uh, to make purchases in the market. It might seem a little counterintuitive, but we're looking at, we're watching the markets to put on more risk right now. You know, if the markets continue to sell off a little bit more, it'll be, you know, we may want to, you know, look at rebalancing the portfolio even a little bit early. So that's that's kind of, we're looking for that right opportunity right now. So for us being a long-term investor, we, while it's uncomfortable, as markets are negative and, you know, the geopolitical situation is, is dramatic, as professional investors, it means that there's a, a time is coming and opportunities coming that we need to take advantage of. So we're doing research, we're watching the markets, and we're getting ready to act. Well, this has been uh, really interesting, Jeb. I appreciate I appreciate your uh, time and look forward to uh, talking to you more next quarter on Inside MERS Investments. Thanks a lot, Kristen. Look for another episode of Inside MERS Investments next quarter for continued great discussion on MERS investment performance and strategy. This podcast is intended as general information only and should not be regarded as investment advice.